Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Our Heavenly Father, open up your will, our hearts, your intention. We would know what it is to be free because of the resurrection of your Son, our Savior Christ, because he lives. And we pray in his holy name. Amen. So you know the story. Palm Sunday, everyone's cheering for him. By Thursday, everyone's jeering at him, calling for his crucifixion. They wanted him to go in and throw out Herod, get rid of the Romans. They declared him king, and yet he came in, and all he did was heal people and tell stories. What kind of Messiah is this? It's not the Messiah that they had expected. So Thursday comes, Pilate brings him out. He's been flogged, beaten. They've got a crown of thorns on his head, a purple robe to mock him. And he said, behold your king. And the people said, we have no king but Caesar. And we can't kill him, so you've got to do it. We can't do it. And so Pilate, what a politician, to appease the crowd, handed Jesus over to be crucified, even though Pilate himself didn't find him guilty. But to appease the crowd, to go with the flow, to allow his life to be defined by the, by the culture, the shifting sands of culture in his time, crucified Jesus. The disciples, for their part, denied, deserted. The crucifixion, the Apostle John was there, standing with Jesus, Mother, Mary. But otherwise, they were gone. They'd scattered like rabbits. Sunday morning, it's the women who come. They care. They're aware of the fact that Jesus had not had his body prepared for burial. There were no spices or anything else because it was so late on Friday and the the time ran out. So early that Sunday morning, they came. Hear the word of God as it comes to us in the Gospel of Luke. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men suddenly appeared, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And the man asked, why are you looking 
among the dead for someone who is alive. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So this is a strange, unanticipated occurrence. This seems to make no sense whatsoever. And this is not what was expected. There wasn't an expectation of the rising of Jesus. There was no expectation of the Messiah being risen from the dead. There was an expectation of all of Israel being raised, but not of, not of Jesus being raised. It wasn't for another 30 years or so that the Apostle Paul, writing about this in 1 Corinthians, brought in some biblical references because he had done some archaeology on the in the Bible to find out where this might make sense, but the reality of the resurrection was not anticipated. Just like the nature of Jesus being Messiah was not anticipated. It had to be found out after the fact as they searched the scriptures to try to find out if this made any sense at all. So not only is there in the record of the four Gospels is there not a biblical expectation of this? Oddly enough, those who bear witness to it, brace yourselves, are the women. And they were not considered to be reliable witnesses. Interestingly, the Apostle Paul, when he writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15, refers to the number of men that Jesus appeared to. But here, the first evangelists, the first to tell the good news of what had happened on that morning were the women. Now, if I were going to make it up in first century Judaism, I would not have had women be the primary witnesses. If I were to make this up, I would have sent some guys over. And the stories in the four Gospels don't align. If I were going to make it up, I would want to make sure that all of these stories made sense, that they aligned with one another. But they don't. How many women were there? How many men were at the tomb in those bright robes? And, and uh, Jesus never appears in a glowing robe or anything like that, just the angels, if they're angels, whoever they are. But if I were going to make this up, I would make sure that all of those stories fit together. But instead, what happened 
was people had an actual experience of something they never anticipated and didn't believe could, could happen. It's not like first century people thought that men, women, children, dogs, and cats could rise from the dead. They knew death better than we do. They saw it all the time, firsthand. They were not dumb. But so here's this message that the women bring to the disciples. And and it is a message that incites for them initially fear. The Gospel of Mark ends with the words, and they were afraid. Fear. And so it seems that at at this moment, all of life forks in one direction or another. It's either toward fear or joy. Either something horrible has happened or something absolutely phenomenal has happened. T.S. Eliot says, I will show you fear in a teaspoon of dust. The reality of death embodied in a teaspoon of dust is that which we see. And that's all we see. We see death all the time. We don't see resurrections. We see death. By the time we leave today, our cars might have dead leaves on them. Driving home, we might have bugs on our windshield. We see it all the time. We're sheltered from it because of the reality of our own fears and our own unknown about the reality of of life after death. It's hard to look at one whom we have lost. So the early church was absolutely, completely, utterly transformed. Those disciples who had gone to hide came back together around this news that even then they didn't believe it. Jesus had to visit them personally. And even then they doubted. (laughs) Jesus is in the room, in the upper room, and they still doubt. Because this was so far out of anything that they expected or anticipated. This was also then a great, huge threat to to the whole status quo of the world. This is a pivotal moment, not just in Jewish history, but in human history. When I was in seminary, we spoke of Geschichte and Heilgeschichte. Brute fact history, Geschichte, and then holy history, Heilgeschichte. There's a holy history going on in the midst of wound in and threaded through all of our ordinary lives and what we understand are called brute fact history. But then here we have an intersection where in actual fact, in actual fact, Jesus rose from the dead. You know, that stone was rolled away. 
The stones before tombs were meant to roll away. They were huge. They weighed about as much as a Toyota. And uh, it took some strong muscle to get those stones rolled back. Women came, hopefully, that they would be managed, able to manage the rolling of this stone, but the stone was gone. And what they found in there were the linen wrappings of Jesus' body and a napkin that was over his face, folded and set aside. Now, Jesus subsequently appeared up in Galilee and then also in the upper room. That stone wasn't moved back so he could get out. It was moved back so we could get in and see the empty tomb and see the actual evidence, historical, factual evidence that Jesus Christ was risen. And that changes everything. Because Jesus came into Jerusalem with a self-declaration as being king of the Jews. He was crucified as being king of the Jews. And if Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And tyrants don't like that. Tyrants like to keep their power. There's a great line in Oscar Wilde's play, Salome. Herod was told that Jesus was raising people from the dead. I do not wish him to do that. I forbid him to do that. I allow no man to raise the dead. This man must be found and told, I forbid him to raise the dead. Where is this man? Tyrants don't like it because it's a threat to their power. And isn't it interesting with the conquest of the Enlightenment and the decision by the very bright people that there is no such thing as a resurrection. It was all made up or whatever explanation they have in the, in the last 200 years or so of the Enlightenment, what that gave rise to were some of the worst tyrants of human history. Much like Caesar. And, and that kind of tyranny gets undermined when Christ is Lord and when God's children Look to him as Lord and King. Looking beyond whoever thinks that they're, whoever thinks they're in charge. And so we have, a, we have an interesting scenario that's set up where it says that even the kings, princes and kings, are all accountable to the one Lord. That's the foundation of Western civilization. It's the foundation of American democracy. And it is why we must continue to affirm this most fundamental reality, that Christ is risen as a people to maintain our lives and our culture. Well, all that said, so I was walking this morning, and around the block is a... Uh, house that is a man who is a Vietnam veteran who's out there every morning in his motorized wheelchair. 
He's always out there with his iPad. He's got a little American flag right next to him. And I haven't seen him in some time. And I'm worried that maybe he's gone. Gone. Can we be gone? And then Monday of this week, I was shaving with this razor. This is the one they don't make anymore. It's where you, you push a button and it buzzes. Some of you may have, some guys may have had one of these. My, when my dad was here, November of 2011, he stayed with me. And I showered him. And I shaved him with his razor. And it was a special time. Maybe you've had the privilege of doing something similar with your parent. Then Monday of this week, it didn't work anymore. I tried to fix it. but it's gone. My oldest grandson is turning 13 this week. I'm gonna give this to him, along with some other things, because I want him to know that his grandfather has only gone before us that his grandfather, and I'm gonna throw in some, like his letter from Lewis and Clark High School, lettered in basketball, I'm gonna throw in, I'm gonna throw in my, my dad's first baseman's glove, and I've got some of his notes during the Second World War where he is taking very specific directions about the nature of some of the armaments that he, he was working with and give these to my grandson because dad has gone before us. Not that he's gone. Well, I will see him. And mom, you will see your parents. You will see those who've gone before you as we have been gathered up into what in the, the writer of Hebrews calls that great cloud of witnesses, those who've gone before us, and even now pray at the altar of God that all things would come to consummation, that the joy of the Lord would be made, made whole, that the fulfillment of all creation would be known. For when Christ stepped out of the tomb, he inaugurated the new heaven and the new earth. It was not just some isolated incident. It was the change of all time for all people 
And it's that that assures to us that we can live this life in joy. Knowing that fear is not our lot. That the death, the death has been robbed of its power. The victory belongs to those who put their faith and their trust in the God who made them. Death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is no more. Will you join me in prayer? Your son lives, O Father, and so will we. He was raised, and likewise so will we. He has a complete fellowship, and so will we. Thank you, O Lord, that in life and in death we belong to you, and there's nothing that can separate us from your redeeming love. We praise you and thank you. In the name of your risen Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.